Good morning, everybody. Let's pray as we come to God's word this morning. So, Father, we thank you for your word that is ever-living, your word that is given to shape us. And we pray this morning that by your Holy Spirit that you will speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this morning we are continuing our series on the spiritual disciplines, and we find ourselves this morning with the topic of fasting. Now, in the time that I've got, uh, there is more to be said about fasting. So let me draw your attention to the uh, study guide that is found at the back of church. Um, There's a lot more uh, for you to have a look at in here. So let me uh, recommend that to you. Um, In terms of fasting, um, it's worth saying that uh, when we talk about fasting, what we mean is the giving up of something that we are dependent on. Um, That might be food, uh, it might be technology, it might be television, it might be something that's part of our daily rhythm. And we go without that in order to then devote that time to God. It's an act of taking uh, dependence from one thing and casting that onto God. And it's worth saying as well that actually when a Christian fasts, its primary purpose is not uh, to do with losing weight. Um, You know, we're in a culture we need to be very careful as we talk about fasting. And if uh, you are someone or you know someone that has uh, issues around food and eating, then the sensible option is not to fast food, but to be fasting other aspects of daily life, TV, technology, and so on. So, in terms of fasting, my experience of it is this, that actually I find it quite a struggle. Um, As a Christian, I've been a Christian since I was 11, which is far too many years for me to tell you now, Um, but I'd always heard that fasting is this kind of thing that makes you supercharged spiritually. When you're fasting, your prayers are supercharged. You have this incredible divine connection with God. I've missed out on that when I fast. Um, I find that actually when I fast, I am hungry. Um, I am grumpy. Um, My wife will testify to that. Um, If you want the really dirty truth, you can go and speak to her afterwards. And um, I don't find that I have this incredible divine connection. I find that my mind is wandering all over the place. I can pick up smells of food at a very long distance. I can tell you what my neighbor is cooking five doors down. Okay, so let me put this in context for you. I'm standing here talking about fasting as someone that finds it a real struggle. But having said that, um, I do know that when I have fasted, it has been significant for me spiritually. And I have only ever fasted actually in response to God challenging me to do so. Um, But as I've been obedient in that, actually, as I say, it has been um, very significant for me. And I wonder where you're at with fasting this morning, whether you're someone who maybe fasts regularly. Um, Perhaps you're someone who is thinking about fasting and think, actually, that's, that's quite hard. I don't know if I want to want to do that, actually. That sounds like quite a, quite a commitment. Um, maybe you're just here thinking, well, actually, I don't really know much about fasting at all. Um, perhaps the question that's in your mind is this, well, do we actually have to fast? Is it something that Scripture commands us? And 
Actually, the answer is no. There is no explicit to c- command in Scripture um, for us in the New Testament to, to fast. Jesus does not command us to fast. Paul does not command us to fast. However, having said that, um, we do see fasting mentioned throughout Scripture. In the passage that we had read to us um, just now, Jesus is saying um, to those around him, when you fast. But what he's saying there is not a command. The command actually is when you fast, do it in secret. That's the command. So what's going on here is Jesus is addressing the Jewish tradition of the time of fasting. But what he does imply is a little bit later on in Matthew that the followers of Jesus will fast after he has gone. And in Matthew 9 verse 15, Jesus responds to the Pharisees who say to him, tell me, why is it that your disciples are not fasting? Our disciples do, why are yours not? And Jesus' response is this, he says, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, then they will fast. And what Jesus is doing here is drawing on the Jewish tradition of marriage. And a big wedding ceremony could go on for anywhere up to a week. And it was a time of great feasting, great rejoicing. And Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, it would be wrong if you were at a wedding ceremony to fast. It's wrong for my disciples to fast whilst I am with them. However, there will be a time when I am not with them. And at that point they will. But again, Jesus here is referring to the Jewish tradition of fasting as a sign of mourning, as a sign of lamentation. So again, he's not commanding it explicitly. He's referencing the traditions of the time. So if fasting's not a command, actually, where do we see it in Scripture? What are the benefits um, that are there for us? And I think there are kind of four areas that I'm going to pick up on in terms of where we see people fasting in Scripture. And the first I've already mentioned, which is that it was a sign of mourning, a sign of lamentation. And an example of this is at the end of 1 Samuel, where King Saul is killed in battle. And the nation of Israel fasts, and their fast is a sign of their sorrow at the death of their king. And King David, who then takes the the, the crown from Saul at the start of 2 Samuel, he begins his reign with fasting as a sign of sorrow and lamentation. Now, in the Old Testament, fasting is also used as a sign of an expression of sorrow and of repentance for sin. Because there is only one time in Scripture that fasting is actually commanded, and that is on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur when the nation of Israel would come and would come before God and would um, say sorry for their sin. And as a sign of their sorrow, as a sign of their humility, as a sign of their repentance, they would fast, they would put on sackcloth, which was frankly pretty uncomfortable, and they would smear ashes onto their face as a sign that they were sorry. We see a similar pattern in Nehemiah, where the Israel, the Israelites have been taken off into captivity in Babylon. They've been kicked out of the land by God despite repeated warnings that he was going to do it if they didn't turn their behavior around. If you keep rebelling against me, says God, you're going to be taken into captivity. Israel plows on. They just keep rebelling and God goes, right, fair enough. And so they go off into captivity. Seventy years later, they return to the promised land and then promptly return to their lifestyle of ignoring God and worshipping other gods. Nehemiah returns from Babylon a little bit later on, looks at what's going on and goes, guys, we 
we've got to get this sorted out. And he calls a fast, and the nation gathers and fasts and commits themselves afresh to God. Interestingly, it's not only the people of God that respond in this way. When Jonah goes to the city of Nineveh and proclaims God's judgment against them, their response is the same. They fast, they put on sackcloth, they humble themselves before God, and God's judgment on them is averted. So fasting is used in Scripture for a sign of mourning. It's a sign of uh, genuine sorrow and repentance. It's also used as a way of seeking God's favor or provision. In the book of True Chronicles, in chapter 20, King Jehoshaphat finds himself with a massive army coming against Israel. And his response is to call the nation to fast and to pray that the disaster will be averted. And what happens is that the army that is coming against them turns on itself. And they kill each other. When the Israelite army actually get to where the battle is going to happen, all they find is, is dead bodies. That God has intervened on their behalf. The king has come before God and gone, we cannot do this by ourselves, God. This is something that is far bigger than we could ever try and achieve in our own strength. Please, will you help us? And they use fasting as a sign of coming before God and saying, God, our dependence is upon you. We see something similar in the book of Esther. Um, in the book of Esther, the Jewish people are under threat. And Esther takes it in her hands to go before the king and to plead for the Jewish people. But the problem is that no one is to come to the king unless they are invited first. But Esther decides the situation is too grave, so she is going to take it into her hands and go before the king. But before she does that, she turns to Mordecai, and she says in chapter 4, verse 16, Go, gather all of the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. But she goes to the king after the fasting has taken place, and the king receives her warmly, carries out her wishes, and the Jewish people are saved. Another example where this is something that cannot be done in her own strength, nothing that could be solved in human strength. It was a case of coming before God, humbling themselves and saying, God, we need your help, we need your intervention, we need your provision. The other example of fasting is to be found before the beginning of something significant. And the most obvious example of that is Jesus himself, where having been baptized in the River Jordan, he is led into the desert where he fasts for 40 days. He then returns and his ministry begins. We also see in Acts chapter 13 that it's while the church at Antioch is fasting and praying that the Holy Spirit speaks to them and says, please set aside Paul and Barnabas for the work that I have for them, which is to take the gospel to the Gentile nations. So scripture is filled with examples of fasting. It's not an explicit command that we have to do, but it is something that is deeply significant. But something that it is never held up to be is this great spiritual badge of honor, this great kind of supernatural thing. And that leads us into the passage that we had read to us in Matthew. Because what Jesus is doing in Matthew chapter 6 is tackling the hypocrites, as he calls them, the people who will show off their spirituality to all around. 
And the thrust of chapter 6 actually is to be found in verse 1. Jesus says to those listening, he says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now, Jesus speaks in chapter 6 about giving, praying, and fasting. The issue is not being seen to be fasting. It's not a problem with people seeing that you're praying. It's not a problem with people seeing that you're giving. The problem is with fasting to be seen, giving to be seen, praying to be seen. Jesus tackles the the hypocrites, those who go around with a somber face. I'm fasting. Those who disfigure their faces, chances are they smear the ashes onto their face. Look at me, I'm fasting. You're not fasting, you have no ashes on your face. I'm much holier than you. And Jesus goes, well, that's great. If you want to do that, you go for it. But your reward is people looking at you and going, gosh, they're, they're really holy. They're fasting again. Gosh. Now, what's interesting is that in the Old Testament, fasting, as I've said, is commanded once on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. The Pharisees added a further 108 days of fasting to the Jewish calendar. That's pretty much one in every three days that you're meant to fast. That's a fairly rigorous fasting regime. So what better way than letting people know that you are mega holy than every third day having a very somber face, lots of ash on your face? Jesus goes, you want to do that, you go for it. Your reward is the approval of people. Jesus then says to us in verses 17 to 18, this is how you should fast. And it's a very simple message. He says, go about life as normal. Have a shower, a bit of moisturizer, perhaps a bit of perfume or aftershave. Probably worthwhile having a good slug of mouthwash. And live your day. And then you will receive the reward from your Father in heaven. So the question then is this, well, what is this reward that Jesus is talking about? And I think it comes in different forms. I think the first aspect of the reward and the most significant one is that there is a deepening of your relationship, your spirituality with God. It's an obvious consequence that if you are setting aside time for God, if you are giving up things that you have previously been dependent upon, and understandably so in terms of food and drink, and coming to God and going, God, I'm going to abstain from those and devote my time to you, it's an obvious consequence that your relationship with God is going to deepen. But I think as well that actually God is very gracious and will often respond specifically in terms of what we're fasting for. I remember when I was doing my PGCE and I'd read a book that said, if you want God to show you the vision for your life, you should spend a bit of time fasting and praying. I was like, this sounds great. Uh, It was February half term. I thought this is a perfect opportunity. So I decided that I would fast uh, Monday to Friday and I would fast lunch. And so I turned up on Monday in my room with my desk in front of the window, very expectant. I had my journal open. I had my pen in my hand. I thought, this is it. This is the moment when God is going to download the blueprint for my life. And I sat there, and I waited. And 45 minutes later, I was still waiting. And God, at this point, had not yet revealed what he wanted from me. So I thought, well, 
okay, you know, fair enough. Perhaps he's got bigger things to worry about today. I'll come back tomorrow. So I turned up on Tuesday, same level of excitement and expectation, journal open, pen in the hand, stare out the window, wait. 45 minutes later, nothing. Not even a whisper. Same happened on Wednesday. Thursday, I was getting slightly frustrated. I was thinking, God, come on. I'm, I'm set aside the time for you. I have a nice journal, have a nice pen, ready to hear from you. Today is the day, God, surely. Silence. I was pretty put out, I have to be honest. And at this point, I was thinking of ditching it and just going, well, you know what? Clearly, this, this guy that wrote the book doesn't have a clue what they're talking about. But I thought, it's, it's one more day. I reckon I could do it one more day. I'm, I'm pretty stubborn. I was like, I've committed to five days. I will do five days. So I turned up on that Friday. My journal was closed. My pen was down. I was not expecting anything. I was like, come on, this is a bit of a waste of time. And unsurprisingly, that was the moment that God spoke to me. And I still have this journal where I've written down what God spoke to me. Stuff that I dream of. Stuff that, um, frankly, as I think about it, moves me immensely. And you know what? If God had spoken that stuff to me on day one, you can be pretty sure I wouldn't have bothered with days two, three, four, and five. But God, in his mercy, decided that he would honor that five days and would reward me with what I was seeking him for at the end. So the reward that God speaks of is this deepening of relationship. It may well be what we are specifically seeking him for. And it can also be, I think, in relation to the breaking of different dependencies. Because I remember 18 months ago, as I was preparing for Lent, thinking, what am I going to give up? I'm in an Anglican church now. I need to do something that involves giving stuff up for Lent. That's what people do. Um, I thought, I know. I could kill two birds with one stone. I should uh, definitely give up alcohol and chocolate. Okay, I, I confess to a bit of a dependence on those. And God said to me, no, I don't need to do that. I want you to give up technology. And I was like, you know what? That's a really good idea. Because I had spent many, many years trying to give up technology in terms of not sitting down of an evening and just frittering my time away on the iPad and watching TV programs at the weekend. And no matter how hard I tried, I'd never managed to do it. And I knew it was something that I should be doing. And God spoke to me and he said, I want you to do that. And that period of Lent was utterly grace-filled by God in that it was incredibly easy to give up technology. Now, after that period ended... Yes, I still use technology, but the dependence that I've had on it in that moment was broken. So the reward that we speak of, that we hear Jesus talking about, first and foremost is a deepening of relationship with him, because that's what he wants more than anything from us. But actually in his grace, he will respond to what we come to him with as we fast. So as I close, let me ask you, these questions, and then I'm going to pray. Perhaps you are someone who fasts regularly. In the time that we have now, let me invite you to ask Jesus what he is inviting you to through your fasting. Perhaps it is that he's longing for deeper intimacy with you. Perhaps he's calling you to intercession. Perhaps he's calling you to 
um, clarity over something. Perhaps you're someone who's never fasted. Perhaps I can ask you to ask Jesus if he's inviting you to begin. And fasting doesn't have to be a 40-day fast. Let's put that out there straight away. Fasting might be a mealtime. Fasting might be giving up tea or coffee. Fasting might be not watching that TV program once a week and spending the time with Jesus instead. Maybe you're someone who's sitting here and you are currently in the process of seeking God for something specific. Let me encourage you to ask Jesus in the time that we have whether he's inviting you to fast as part of that process of discernment. Or maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, actually, there is something that I'm really dependent on. It's something that I turn to when times are tough. It's something that I know God has been prompting me about to give up. If that's you, let me encourage you to be bold and to say to Jesus today, yep, I'm prepared to work with you on this, Jesus. I'm prepared to fast that thing and see what he has to say to you about that. So I'm going to close in prayer and I'm going to ask Jesus to speak to us. We'll hold silence for a minute or so. And if you would like prayer, then please do come forward. Um, there'll be space to pray, probably over the side here. Um, John and I, others will be available for you to, to come and be prayed for. If there are any other issues that you would like prayer for, please come and receive prayer as well. But I'm going to pray now as we close. So Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are a God who desires that depth of intimacy and relationship with us. You are a God who will not leave us afar off. And thank you for the discipline of fasting. Thank you that through that you draw us closer to you. You draw us from dependence on things to more dependence on you. And would you speak to us this morning? Holy Spirit, would you come and would you help us to hear from you in relation to what you are saying in relation to fasting, in relation to dependencies we have, in relation to discernment. And in this space, Holy Spirit now, please would you speak.